Brought to you by BedroomBattlefields.com, this is the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Richard. It's good to have you here. Well, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I think I said to you in our correspondence that how I came across your blog was I, I took a notion for getting a copy of Rogue Trader and I was I was kind of doing a bit of Googling and I landed on your blog and you were talking about the fact that they'd made it available down at Warhammer World. Uh, and I just so happened to see in your, your post that you, you were based not too far from where I am as well, so it's pretty cool, that. Yeah, I... I've been a big fan of like Rogue Trader for quite a few years and I somewhat foolishly sold my copy when I went off to university and I've never been able to get a hold of another one for anything resembling a reasonable price. And uh, I saw that uh, it was available through Warhammer World and I even got in touch with them and said, well, is there any chance you could uh, ship it up? And they're like, no, you've got to get it in store. And I was like, oh, wee bit of a shame there. Yeah, that's nuts. I I just like I think you'd said yourself, like all it's doing is making people that are local there just buy it and sell it at a really inflated price on Aye. eBay. Like it's not it's, it's achieving nothing, isn't it? Yeah, and if anything, it's gone up in price um with these new mm. editions coming out. Um for a while there you could get it second hand for maybe forty quid. Um it's now oh gosh, when I looked there yesterday, it's about 120 to 200 quid for a new edition of a book which is in print. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, like I say, it's nuts. And it, I'm kind of kicking myself too because I I was down there in September right. and I just, I wasn't aware of this and uh, I kind of scooted around the shop quickly because I'm not very interested. In fact, I'm mm. not interested at all in the newer stuff. Um, I was yeah. just enjoying the exhibition and that, but... You know, I was too busy laughing at the price of that big Lord of the Rings dragon to <laughs> have a proper look around the shop. And uh, unfortunately, I've missed my opportunity. So I was already saying to the wife, like, we could have another holiday down there. Because, you know, paying like 150 online or paying, I don't know how much, how many hundreds for a full holiday, that doesn't exactly make economic sense. But still, yeah. uh, might as well go down there and enjoy myself again. Have you yeah. ever been down to Warhammer World? I haven't. Um it's one of these things I've always intended to go, but with the, the newer sort of editions of sort of Fantasy Battle and Age of Sigmar and, and 40k, they've kind of left me behind. Um, and there's, the, the, I find like a lot of the quality of the sculpts and things like that and the rules are, are a lot more um, high tech and advanced, but they just don't appeal to me as much. Um mm-hmm. And I know that they've got some great displays and things like that of some of the sort of uh, classic miniatures and things like that. And it's, I've seen a lot of other people take amazing photos um, and tell them of you know the amazing experiences that they've had when they've been there. But I can't bring myself to sort of travel all the way down from here to to there um, just to have a wee wander around. Yeah, aye. aye. We, we were like literally on holiday at the centre park. So it was just a... You know, it was an opportunity for me, but I, I, I'm totally with you. I wouldn't have just went down there to do right. that alone. But it'd, it'd be cool, I guess. Like we, we should jump back in time, and and I'd like to find out a wee bit about how you got into this hobby in the first place. Your your yeah. sort of origin story, if you like, that'd be nice to hear. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, um, I know a lot of folk that got into the Warhammer hobby uh, started with Hero Quest. Uh, I missed that and went in with uh, Space Crusade, which um, I remember it was 25 quid 
and you got um, the basic set, and then you got Mission Dreadnought. And it was absolutely packed with all these amazing miniatures. And that's what kind of started my like obsession with wargaming, was literally that one box. And even now, I don't think I've ever actually played it. It was one of these games that it was all these amazing miniatures, and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Um, off the back of that, um, I think I had a couple of friends at high school were into sort of Warhammer. And we used to play a lot of uh, 40k second edition. Um, but as I never had very much in the way of uh, spending money, I always used to have, um, I went for Imperial Guard and they got thrashed all the time because my opponents were always like, oh, I've got the newest Space Marine characters and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, no. Um, and we also played a lot of Warhammer Quest, which is still an amazing game. Um, and another game I wish I, I still had a copy of. Um, and then we went into Epic Second Edition um, for a long time and played absolutely massive games of like 10,000 points aside on massive boards um, at my friends' houses. Um, but I sort of fell out of um, the Warhammer hobby after Second Edition got replaced with Third Edition. And then I discovered lots of other games. And over the years, I've kind of obsessed with many other bits and bobs that I've, I've picked up. What other games then had you discovered that kind of took you off in that direction? I think I oh now um, there used to be a war games shop on the Royal Mile of Edinburgh called Max Models, and they had a wee bit of Warhammer stuff, but they sold loads of other absolutely random games, and it was fantastic to go in to find all this new stuff. And before you had the internet, it was the best place to find new bits and bobs. Uh, so first game I really absolutely fell in love with it was a game called leviathan it was produced by uh grendel miniatures back in the early well early to mid 90s and it had the most amazing artwork uh by adrian smith i think it was the first sort of thing he did after he left games workshop the first time round, and it was a sort of a post-apocalyptic fantasy game uh where basically the, the elves had unleashed hell upon the earth and um you had sort of barbarian tribes um which were very inspired by slain uh, the elves were all sort of demon-obsessed and had sort of mutated dragons and all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. Uh, you had the orcs, which were sort of um, like the Mongol horde, but with giant lizards uh, that they rode around on. And um, you had uh, the dwarves were very sort of steampunky. They'd sort of entered the industrial age. And it was completely different from the Warhammer world. And it was amazing to to sort of read these books um, and I found a lot of other bits and pieces like, oh gosh, uh, Cryomech was another one produced by the same people, same around about the same time. It was basically Aliens, but the miniatures game. Um, Warzone was another one I've, I loved playing back in the day. Um, but all these games, they kind of appear and then disappear because the, the companies went bust. And I kind of completely left the wargaming hobby until about... Ooh, mid-2000s, I think it was, um, when I picked up a lot of older Games Workshop stuff and Games Workshop miniatures before the Old Hammer movement really got started. So I picked up a fair bit of pieces like that. And then uh, one of the jobs I started, I uh, met a guy who played Warhammer uh, Epic 40k 3rd Edition, which a lot of people absolutely hate, but is actually probably one of the best games they've ever produced, in, in my opinion. And um, so I played a lot of that and alas, eventually went off to uni and uh, sold everything. And it's only been in the last sort of 
few years I've really got back into to gaming. Um, but instead of really concentrating on the more sort of games workshop side of things, I've kind of gone for a lot of indie games. And um, I mentioned in our emails that um, my favorite at the moment has been um, Planet 28 and Brutal Quest, which are produced by Nick Evans of Mammoth Miniatures. And they're just brilliant wee sort of skirmish games that allow you to do pretty much whatever you want. I'm going to ask you about them in a second, but I just want to swear back to a couple of games that you mentioned like, yeah, sure thing. at the start there. So starting with Space Crusade, so I am familiar with it, but mainly because I had the Commodore 64 game. Yeah. Um, what is the what was the difference then between Space Crusade and Space Hulk? Because I know that they were similar, but... Um, I think you had sort of basic missions um, on a sort of more board game style board for uh, Space Crusade. And you had all sorts of, you know, literally everything from the 40k universe would turn up. Um, So you'd have orcs, you would have Gretchen, um, there'd be gene stealers who would sort of pop out and try to kill you all the time. Um, what other ones? There was Chaos Space Marines, which were really fantastic for their period. the, The plastic miniatures that they did were fantastic. Uh, you had Chaos Androids, who I think were sort of what Necrons eventually would become. And uh, you also had um, um, an ED-209 style Dreadnought miniature, which was just brilliant. And they're kind of battling through a, a spacecraft then? Yeah, so it, it was basically, um, I think it came out after first edition Space Hulk and Milton Bradley, who did um, Hero Quest decided they wanted to do a sort of a, a, a sort of space version of it. So you would have set missions with different groups of space marines. I think you got, oh gosh, it would be the Blood Angels, Imperial Fists, and Ultramarines. And you, they would be sort of boarding the spacecraft with different missions to kind of, to, to sort of use um, to try and uh, conquer. And you would come up against all these sort of random bits and bobs. But as I said, it's a game that I was more interested in the miniatures than in the actual uh, board game itself. Um, because I got, like, I think, when I was 12, and uh, I had the attention span of a gnat, and I still do. Um, so it was very much a case of those miniatures then got used for a lot of 40K stuff as well, um, because they were, just, they were cheap. Um, and uh, at a time where there wasn't that many plastic miniatures available. They were just a really great place to, to start uh, collecting, uh, start a hobby with almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Space Crusade, iconic in many ways, I guess. And you mentioned Warhammer Quest there as well. So Aye. I keep mentioning this on the podcast, but I'm I'm rereading my White Dwarfs. So they range from 93 to mm. 98, all my White Dwarf magazines from when I was younger. Aye. So like... In my mind, I was thinking, you know, I, I thought of it as like they were pushing games like Man of War and stuff quite a lot, but yeah. that's the early 90s ones, and they really got into like the editions I'm reading now. They're really hammering like Warhammer Quest, um, Gorka Morka, Necromunda. Mm. So Warhammer Quest, out of the three of them, looks the most appealing to me. It's it's definitely a game I feel I missed out on. Aye. Um it just it, it looks like it ticks every box. So is that you're saying you don't have that anymore? Then you, yeah, it. Um, it was another one that my uh, friend who had a lot more pocket money than I did. He got the basic game, and then every single supplement, every single sort of character that you can imagine, all the the, the extra stuff. 
and we would play it literally you know religiously every week um and it's just i just such fun memories of it because it was as close it was basically as a dungeon crawl where your adventures are basically going into kill monsters and and get loot um and then trek back through the warhammer world to you know a village or a settlement to sort of um recuperate from it which was almost like a mini game within the game and it was just it's great fun um it's well worth watching um oh what's his name it's ash barker uh the chap that does guerrilla miniature games he's been doing or he did a while ago a series of uh games of the classic warhammer quest and it's just great fun to sit and watch it being played um mm-hmm. it's almost as fun to watch being played as it is to play itself I like the fact in, in the White Dwarf magazines I was looking at, you know, they're selling all the characters and that, and you could just get a Chaos Warrior on your team, and it yeah. seems a bit weird. You know, you've got, like, the Imperial Noble and that, and, yeah. yeah, we've got, you know, Fred the Chaos Warrior. He's along for the ride, and it's like, what's, what's his story? Like, why is he <laughs> why is he getting involved? Yeah, it never. I don't think it ever really explained particularly why, you know, you could get um, a Witch Hunter on one hand, and then, oh, he's, he's Chum's the Chaos Warrior. It's his best um, man. And it was it was sort of the joys of sort of the randomness of uh, Games Workshop at that sort of period of time that you would just get sort of, and a lot of the characters were very different. Some of them are really really good that that you would want to be using. Um, I think there's the, oh what's his name? I think it's the Elf Ranger is still kind of the best because he could use magic but could also fight really well. And then you'd have the Warrior Priest who was just pretty much useless at doing anything but healing your guys. Um, but it was it created an amazing narrative as you're playing these sort of random wee games and it was great fun and the amount of times that our characters got absolutely blutered by uh, the baddies was part of the fun of it there's like reading through the the magazines there's some really interesting historical things i'm seeing happening as i go through them so one of them on the back of warhammer quest is gav thorpe i was just reading an article last night where he's like you know you could design your own dungeon you could have random monster cards you could yeah. use your collection and it's like you know what you see now with miniature agnostic games and everything you saw the early seeds of that even within games yeah. workshop and then you've got thomas perenins just sort of came on board and he's you could see the seeds of more time being right. laid and then nigel stillman series articles where he's literally saying in white dwarf you know buy less models uh you know spend less and it's it, it's mental to think that like he was officially on record for Games Workshop saying spend less money, which would just never ever happen now. <laughs> so, yeah, but Warhammer Quest it does it. It looks brilliant, and um, I I think the most appealing out of the, the sort of games that they're mm. pushing in the magazines now that I'm I'm kind of reading yeah. through. So, I mean, it's the sort of thing. I was really excited when they announced they were bringing back Warhammer Quest when they did um, the Age of Sigmar ones, and then when I saw them released, I was like, oh. It doesn't look as much fun. Um, and then they did, it was at the Cursed City, which is the sort of the one with all of the um, vampires, uh, which I think is their newest version. And I've seen a few, I almost picked up a copy of it, um, but I saw a few games played of it and it doesn't look as much fun um, as as the classic game where, you know, you're literally creating this random little dungeon, uh, seeing what you could fight and kill and grab all the treasure. Um, whereas now you've kind of got very sort of set tasks that you're doing and it, it felt it was a bit more of like a linear uh, sort of process rather than just being a good fun game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Have you ever, uh, you ever tried Dungeon Saga at all? The Mantic title? I've, I've hummed and hard about picking it up, um, but I've not got round to it yet, I have to admit. Aye, I, I mean, I, I quite like it. Yeah, it's a cool little game. Um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, I, I mainly like it because it gives you opportunities to use the cat for right. you know any dungeon bash and you could you could bring in any rule set if you want but yeah. i think the the rule set itself and and uh dungeon saga is solid enough too but i it's a good bit of kit i would say um what uh, what made you get back into the hobby then what was the catalyst there um it never entirely got out of it i mean i had had uh a few bits and pieces of miniatures kicking around for pretty much forever now um and when I went off to university in 2007, I think it was, um, I arrived in a city that I didn't know, didn't know anybody, and I'd brought a couple of rule books with me because uh, there were literally stuff that when I'd done the big uh, eBay clear out that nobody wanted to buy. So I thought, oh, let's take them with me and give me something to read um, between classes. And off the back of that, it got me sort of inspired to try sort of re-exploring my hobby that I'd had because... Um, I find sitting painting miniatures and um, playing sort of games really relaxing. It's just, a, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's it was a, something that I just felt that I kind of wanted to have a, another bash at, and it's been great fun over the years since then. What well, I mean, a lot of the answers are obvious to this, I suppose. But what what do you think? Is it about the painting and the gaming that gives us that sort of relaxing escapism? I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, when you're sitting painting a miniature, you're kind of concentrating on that miniature. So you're not thinking about anything else. Um, so it it's, it generally is quite relaxing, um, especially I find when you're painting older style miniatures, you know, the sort of the, the classic um, up to, you know, um, fourth, fifth, fourth or fifth edition uh, fantasy or sort of second, third edition 40K. Because uh, I find that, and the same with a lot of the sort of the indie manufacturers that are coming along now, that the hand sculpted figures, which might not be as sort of technically advanced as some of the newer stuff, have got tons of character and are just a sort of pleasure to paint. Whereas I find that if I'm trying to paint some of the more modern stuff, which has been computer designed, um, I get myself stressed with it because there's so much detail on a lot of them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm. I'm... I really prefer like my miniatures to come in one piece or two pieces Aye. and be hand sculpted and um the thought of opening one of these modern GW kits with like, you know, here's a finger and you could put that finger there and you could, yeah. like build the whole thing. I just I don't I don't want anything <laughs> to do with it. I admire folk that do, but um do do you have a a painting aesthetic if you like, or do you just try and mix it up depending on the miniature? Um, I think what my painting style is very heavily influenced by um sort of sort of nineties games workshop style. It's it's quite bright, um, a bit cartoony in style. Um, I'm a big fan of the sort of the Blanchett uh sort of grim dark style as well. But it's not something I can do because every time I've tried it, it just ends up being a muddy mess. But I'm absolutely blown away by seeing um some of the people out there who can produce these amazing looking. Uh, grim and dark figures. If you're in the market for a t-shirt, mug, sticker or magnet with goblin green bases written on it, 
then today is your lucky day. We've teamed up with Tee Public to create a merch store for the podcast, which you could visit by going to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash store. So go and get yourself some Goblin Green Bases branded merch today and bonus points if you send in a photo of you being escorted out of your local games workshop. That's bedroombattlefields.com slash store. And now, back to the show. On the gaming front, you mentioned a couple of games that you're into these days, so yeah. Planet 28 and Brutal Quest. Like, how do you... How do you find out about these games? Like, how, what channels do you kind of keep up with to to make yourself aware of these titles? Um, I can't actually remember where I found out about Planet Twenty. I think it was during the the first lockdown, and um, I I happened across it because they did a Kickstarter, I think, for the first edition of it, and I missed the first edition uh, Kickstarter, but. It was a sort of pay what you want on uh, uh, Drive Through RPG, I think it was, and I thought, oh, well, it looks quite interesting. It, you only need a couple of figures and um, a sort of a two foot square board or thereabouts, and on you go. Essentially, um, I think I might have seen Nick posting something on um, uh, Lead Adventure Forum um, of him playing a game with, I think, one Space Marine one sort of side character and a bunch of muties on an old pin board that he got. And I thought that looks like a really good fun wee game that I built to put together a game and play without having much time or space or, or energy with it. And um, I downloaded it and played a few sort of try throughs to see how it went. And I found it just to be a really simple and bodgeable system that it's, it's like, uh, Rogue Trader was back in the day. It's almost like a toolkit that you can create literally anything you want. I've played it from everything from fantasy through to sort of black powder skirmish up to sort of far future sci-fi stuff as well. And um, I just think they're really great little games and they don't seem to get as much notice as some of the other ones, uh, of the other indie games that have been coming out like Morkbork and stuff like that. Um, but it's a shame because it's a great game. Is that one you're talking about there? Is it solo co-op or versus, or is it a mixture? You can do any of the above, essentially. Um, the brought out, uh, Nick's brought out a second edition now of uh, Planet Twenty Eight, which gives you all the rules from all those little supplements that he's brought out over the over the years, and it does have sort of solo and co-op rules in there as well. And I have to admit, I am uh, entirely a solo player now because um, I work in retail and speak to people all day every day so it's quite nice to sort of come home relax a wee bit and play get the miniatures out and play a wee game Mm -hmm. yeah i was going to ask you about your just sort of how things are in terms of local gaming because as far as i'm aware you know dundee's going to be better than around here for for fine folks and gaming with but like you're saying you're just uh you just prefer to to chill out on your own and have a wee game on your own terms on your own time yeah, I mean, over the years, I've tried war games clubs. I've um, had friends that were into war gaming, and I've had very mixed reactions with it because I found for a lot of the time, if I wanted to play a game, I had to play a game that other people wanted to play rather than the games that I wanted to play. Um, and I've played a lot of games against sort of power gamers who it's all about the meta. You've got to have like the this you know indestructible army that's going to table your opponent in the first turn and things like that. And I, it just doesn't interest me. I far prefer to have a game where it's 
character based it's like a little narrative you know you're, you're having an adventure with your figures um rather than you know must destroy your enemy um and wipe them out as quickly as you can um and i know a lot of folk really love that sort of more tournament sort of style of play but it just doesn't appeal to me and mm. over the years i've just got to the point now i'm just i'm more than happy to just play by myself yeah yeah I've seen on your uh, blog, we'll talk about that in a second, but I've seen you mentioned Rangers of Shadow Deep. Is that a game that you've played much? I picked it up. I've, I have a terrible tendency of uh, picking up war game rules. I've got mm, probably about nearly 100 different sets kicking around of varying sorts. And I really like the look of Rangers of Shadow Deep, and I've played a couple of the scenarios for it. And from my experience thus far, it's been a really good little game but I'm not sure how going forward it's going to be, if that makes sense, because it, it's quite a linear sort of game where you are, um, you know, you're going from one scenario to the other scenario. You can't sort of branch off and kind of do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a lot of supplements for it, but um, I've never really delved that that deeply into it. Yeah, aye. Aye, there's an ever-grown body of supplements, but like you say, yeah, you it's either play those or write your own, and I've talked about that on the show before, but I just don't really have the guts to do that at the moment because I think I'd waste loads of time just getting it wrong. So oh, it's, uh, it's the sort of thing it's easy done to um, sort of when you start creating your own sort of um, scenarios to play. Um, I found when the first few that I tried doing, it didn't work out very well and it was quite boring because uh, your characters were either, you know, absolutely crushing everybody or just getting absolutely like uh, maimed by it, that your opponents because you, you didn't have the balance quite right with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you try it out, the the more, you know, the more experience you get with it, the easier it kind of gets to sort of just come up with a, a sort of a, a simple scenario. Um, and there's a lot of um, sort of resources that you can find, especially if you've got old rule books that you know nobody plays anymore there's a lot of, especially like um rogue trader which has just got you know the, this huge chart of uh sort of random scenarios that you can play you know i've got um in my collection i've got some uh space pudding cultists um which are from you know the classic rogue trader and it's it's just uh these mad cultists who think that the space pudding is going to come along and uh it's using like little elements from that. You can come up with all sorts of fun little games to play. Yeah, the the um, you, you said you pick up a lot of rule books. Do mm. you do that with a like sincere intention to play the games, or do you just love to read them? Like you just enjoy the process of going through them. I think that it it harks back to you know uh, back in the nineties when I first left sort of the games workshop side of the hobby that. I would find all these wee rule books and uh, games that people were really passionate about and they put a huge amount of effort into and they would come up with, you know, really fascinating settings and really fascinating rules and then nobody would ever play them. Um, So I always feel that there's something nice about having those books that you can look through and have a wee read and get inspired. I mean, you might not use the actual rule set itself but there's elements from the setting or like you might see a little rule that you like that you can go oh, i can incorporate that into something i'm playing or you know you could have characters and factions and stuff that um really lend themselves to this kind of the games that you want to that you can actually incorporate them into 
Yeah, I like that. You know, you're it's almost like a big soup and you're always just adding wee bits and pieces, yeah. you know, these miniatures, these rules, that rule, and it's just a melting pot of, you know, what you want to do in the hobby and the, yeah. the alternative to that. And again, if people want to go down this route, that's fine, but you'll find somebody that maybe, I play 40k, it's the latest edition of 40k, that's it, I don't want anything else. And, you yeah. know, if, if you want to do that, fair enough, but it's it's a narrow, a narrow field of vision then, isn't it? Aye. Whereas if you just open up to... A bit of everything. I think it's a really good, diverse experience. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do see there's a lot of amazing communities are forming out there from like-minded gamers. Um, I've listened to some of the other podcasts where you've kind of talked to folk who are into sort of old hammer, middle hammer, uh, new hammer, mini hammer, all sorts of stuff. Um, and it does seem to be that we're going through an amazing spell for sort of wargaming, that there's a bit of something for everybody. Um, and I think that there's just a, an amazing selection of, of not just games to choose from, but also miniatures that you can pick up um, that aren't just, you know, you know, this is a not Games Workshop figure, which is kind of the same thing. Yeah. I, I mean, it's part of it, of course, is the nostalgia, I think, for a lot right. of folks, but playing playing these older games as well, it's like if you compare it to, to video games, it's not, I mean, technology's always getting better. These things get easier. But yeah. like if I wanted to get back into the Commodore 64, I've got a few hurdles to jump to, right. to get to, to playing these games. Whereas like if I want to play Battlemasters, you know, and I have a copy of Battlemasters, I just play it. Like I don't right. need, it doesn't matter that it's not being supported. These games exist. Why not play them? Right. So you... um. You're on your, your blog, your website, Tales from Farpoint. Could you tell us a bit about that? Like, how long has that been going? What's its origin story? Um, it's been going for about 10 or 11 years now. Um, it's actually the second or third blog that I, I'd started. Um, and they kind of, they'd started and then they'd sputtered out. Um, but Tales from Farpoint has kind of kept on going. And it's just a repository of all the sort of the random nonsense that I... Um, sort of play be it uh fantasy sci-fi um a lot of uh drawings of different characters and different sort of settings that i've created over the years and all of the many 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 projects that i start and stop so and like in the the sort of genesis of that was that because you were maybe interested in like creating your own games or was there any of that i would love it? to be able to sort of create my own games um i've over the years i've i've puttered around with a few different ones but they're never very good um i far more prefer using pre-existing ones and making the most of what i can from that i think i started i mean the blog started as i mean back in gosh when i first started doing it um it was literally here is a rule set here's me giving it a try um and they were all free ones that i downloaded from um was it War Games Downloads, I think it was, back in the day, and uh, just to see how they worked, and then using them to incorporate with um, a lot of the sort of the settings that I like. Yeah, I was on your, um, I mean, you, you've got a great range of posts on there, and obviously I was talking about how I found the site initially, right. but what I like about blogs like yours is that, you know, they, they get engagement as well, there's comments there, and it's, mm. It's not like modern social media. Again, going off on one of my social media tangents, but yeah. when folk are on Facebook or that, 
it's just it, there's everything's there, you know. Okay. Um, whereas I like the thought that somebody goes deliberately to a site to follow the content and they know what they're coming for and yeah. it's very deliberate. And, you know, things like comments and that are a lot kinder. Uh, I just think it's a world away from, you know, these days on social media where, fair enough, you might be able to catch a few war game community-style yeah. stuff, but you're getting all that other nonsense chucked in as well. Yeah. I think sort of the sort of the war games blogs certainly when I started were huge there lots of people started them because they were a way of getting your stuff online without actually having to know how to uh, code or anything like that because it did it all for you and there were there were so many of them that I've read and, and really loved over the years um of uh some which are still going but a lot of them sadly seem to have disappeared I think things like um sadly Facebook and Instagram because it's a it's a more instant sort of you know here's some f amazing pictures of something that I've, something that i've done um or here's like a sentence or a paragraph about something that uh you know a game i've played or some miniatures i've painted or whatever um whereas with a blog um it's almost like reading the old white dwarf articles where you know you've got a decent amount of like pictures of stuff but then there's also here's how about how i went about doing it and here's my process and you can get like um, an, an, a proper old-fashioned battle report where you've got, um, you know, a blow-by-blow blow account of the game as it as it goes forward, which I think that a lot of the more mo more modern social media platforms aren't as good at. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like you're saying, it's that the pull of instant gratification. You know, I could right. create an account, bang a picture up, get some likes, whereas a blog is a slow burn. You know, yeah. you start a website, you're going to be writing to yourself for a long time before yeah. folks start to stumble across it. And, you know, that, that builds a solid foundation, but a lot of people don't want to go through all the work of doing that. Yeah. So. I mean, I find that you can get some of the most random posts will get interest. Um, and there's things that I think, oh, nobody's going to be interested in that, but I'm going to put something about it anyway, because it's something I find interesting. And then lo and behold, um, I've had... Um, you know some of the rules writers from Leviathan, uh, which came out you know back in the nineties, and they've just chipped in and, and made a wee comment about stuff. And it's like, well, that's really nice. Um, whereas I think if I'd put it as like a, a social media post, which would be gone and you know there and gone, um, wouldn't have you wouldn't have had that. And I think as well with the way that a blog works is that you've got a record of posts going back. In my case, over a decade now. Um, and it's quite nice to even for myself to look back at a lot of, you know, the projects that I've started. Um, and if I do have a, a, sort of a, a bit of a hobby slump, which I think we all do from time to time, it's quite nice to look back at what I did before to get myself over it or a project which in all the other stuff that I've started and stopped over the years that I think to myself, oh, that might be get me back into uh, into the groove, so to speak. Mm hmm. Yeah, and seeing, you know, if you're documenting with pictures, seeing that improvement, obviously, as well over the yeah. years, just seeing uh, things getting better, uh, even the ability to take photos, probably, technology to take photos, everything like that. So it's yeah. good documentation. I was um, I was laughing just talking about this, like, and I was reading one of my magazines last night, and I think it was from 1995, and at the, the first few pages in the intro, they're talking about uh, we we got a shot of the internet 
we got on the internet <laughs> and we found uh, we found people were talking about like Warhammer and Games Workshop and we found this community. So it was like we're going to like give this guy who's running this website. We're going to answer rules questions and it gave you the URL and it was like you know a URL that like just looks completely alien to one yeah. now because this is ninety five obviously. And yeah. then it, it seemed like um, Thomas Pirinen, who did more time and a whole host of other stuff, they yeah. had an article from him later on in the White Dwarf, and it said, "This is a guy in Finland. We just we found this article he wrote online, and like it was really good." And so that's obviously I'd like to find out more about that. I know he's done a few podcasts, um, yeah. so it must have it, it must have been him doing articles on the internet, like literally in nineteen ninety five. That yeah. kind of got him on the radar so aye historical internet yeah it's amazing how things like certainly for sort of the, the the wargaming community how far things have moved forward now i mean you can even play you know warhammer and stuff like that digitally um using sort of the this um using various apps and websites and things like that which mm-hmm. it just blows my mind uh you know we've kind of gone from pushing around little lead figures on on um a piece of felt back in the the early 90s to you know this just explosion of just amazing stuff that's come out over the last sort of decades mm-hmm. yeah i during the pandemic and stuff there was a lot of um you know your tabletop simulators and that and there are guys doing um, what's called remote gaming as well, where yeah. one person's got the table set up and the other person can kind of... So it, it's great um, that technology gives people the opportunity to, you know, that they might not have had the chance to play a certain game and yeah. now that they can. So do you um, do you keep a table set up? Do you keep terrain set up? Or when you're playing, do you put it all up and take it down again? I'd love to be able to have a table set up all the time. For a long time, I did have a board set up in our spare room, which um, we don't have a very big flat, and it's full of books because uh, I work in a bookshop. Um, so the biggest board I can fit is about a three-foot square one, um, but it meant that we couldn't really do anything else with the spare room. So now it's sort of folded away most of the time, and um, I've got a pin, uh, like a couple of wee pin boards because a lot of the, the skirmish games that I play now, um, you don't need very much space for, um, and I can keep you know my miniatures in or in my wee display cabinet, and um, I've got a couple of boxes of scenery, and that's kind of all I need. Um, I mean, I would love to have like the full wargaming set up with a six foot by four foot board, and you know the the, the time and money and um, you know concentration to actually sit and paint, um, sort of a classic you know, a wargaming army, be it 40k fantasy battle or, or any of the others that I, I kind of I like over the years, but I just don't have the time for it now. So um, it's just quite handy to have a wee set up that I can put up, play a game and put away again. What about with your painting? Does that have to get set up and get taken back down again too? Um, well, I actually trained as an illustrator and animator. So I've got a decent setup for sitting painting. Um, which is able to sit there all the time. It's always a tip because uh, I'm not very tight at, at uh, keeping my paints organized, but um, I've always got space to sit and paint and I will usually be sitting, unless I have a bit of a, a sort of a, a hobby slumper of I've been really run off my feet with work, I will try to sort of sit and do a wee bit of painting pretty much every day now. What are you painting at the moment? Um, I actually sculpted some teeny tiny orcs because I've 
been sort of pondering about uh, restarting my Leviathan project, which I've, is one that I've started and stopped and started and stopped multiple times over the years. And it's one of these things that I would love to be able to play the original game, with, but the miniatures for it, they're sort of these massive resin monstrosities um, that weigh an absolute ton. And I don't have the time to sit and paint um, sort of giant monsters. So I've sculpted some little simple ones um, in approximately, I think, about 15 millimeter scale um, to just sort of do as proxies. And I find, I'm finding it you know, quite a relaxing process to sort of make these miniatures, paint them up, and then actually play, try some games that I've not played in, in a long, long time. And uh, I've also been working on some um, Planet 28 stuff. I got some um, sprues of some of the Stargrave figures. I've been putting together bits and pieces, so I've got little war bands for that. But for that, I only need sort of five figures aside. What air paints do you use? I've still got a few old Games Workshop ones. Uh, you know, the, the classic, I've, I think I've got about half a dozen of them, uh, which are still really, really good. Um, for a long time, I used, um, was it miniature model paints? They were available from Ralpartha Europe. Um, and they were sort of screw top ones. And they're not as good as, sort of, you know, the classic Games Workshop ones, but they did the job. Um, but now I tend to use um, cheap craft paints, actually. Um, it by and large does the job for me um, because I find that as great as the Games Workshop paints are now, they're ruinously expensive. Um, if you're wanting to get a decent paint set up, um, I wouldn't know how folk who are starting out now would actually go, you know, go into Games Workshop and get half a dozen paints and it sets you back goodness knows how much. Mm-hmm. Especially with the contrast where you use loads of it and right. aye, the, the pot's and, just done before yeah. you know it. I, I've got a terrible tendency of spilling paint as well. So I think with the contrast paints, I'd end up with more on the floor than I would on, uh, on the actual miniatures. You ever uh, go to the games workshop at all down the road for you? I've been in a few times, but um, it doesn't really have anything that I'm interested in anymore. And... um. I think the last time I went in was when they brought out uh, Shadow War Armageddon, which was their sort of the classic more time, uh, not more time, uh, classic Necromunda rules, but redone as sort of almost a, a second edition 40k skirmish type game. And I picked that up and I've played it a few times now, actually, and it's quite good, but it seems to lack a wee bit of the, the sort of the sort of the randomness and the detail that the some of the older versions have got. But um, I don't think I've picked up any miniatures out of Games Workshop for, um, gosh, since before the first lockdown now. So it's a good few years. It's been a really good conversation, Richard. I, I really appreciate your time. Anything we've yeah, not covered that you wanted to, to talk about or that? Um, no, it's been a really good bit of leather, thanks. Um, if folks fancy having a look at my blog, more than welcome to. Um it's got a bit of everything, so um, feel free to have a wee peek and uh, read some of my jibber-jabbers on it. Yeah, what's the URL? Where could we find it? It'll be a better URL than that one in 1995 Games Workshop. Oh, gosh. Let's see if I can find <laughs> it just now. Uh, it'll be... Uh, uh, so it's talesfromfarpoint.blogspot.com. What's the origin story of that name, Tales from Farpoint? Um... 
I think it was back in the uh, when I played 40k second edition. Um, my Imperial Guard were from a. I think I came up with a background that they were from a frontier world on the sort of the back end of the Imperium where nobody really bothered going anymore. And it was called Farpoint because it was right at the outside of Imperial space. Um, and uh, it's kind of developed over the years. So there is kind of a setting to it, um, which is sort of slowly morphed. Um, and it's sort of loosely based on 40K's setting, but it's kind of developing off in its own way. Um, and I think that that's always kind of stuck. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. If you enjoy the show, then please do share it with someone else you think might enjoy it too. And be sure to check out our Discord community of like-minded hobbyists, which you can find at bedroombattlefields.com forward slash discord. It'd be great to see you in there.